Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I've been told it'll be rude if I don't say happy birthday. At my current age, it is rude pointing it out. Oh, in that case, happy birthday, (laughs) big man. (laughs) One day closer to death. Seemingly not for Brad. He's so far past his expiration date. That is true. You would be considered a risky signing at this point in the NHL. Oh, that passed five years ago, man. <laughs> We're gonna I'm gonna bring up that point about John Klingberg later, and I'm five years <laughs> older than him. <laughs> How do you feel? Old. Tired? Yeah. More tired? No. Oh, okay. Well that's not Same so amount bad. of tired. My kids didn't have a birthday, so <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Although I, I kind of feel like on your birthday they still have to have something, right? Like you you're celebrating you're celebrating your birthday that means ostensibly more parenting that day yes yeah i literally planned nothing but like a dinner the whole day which in theory was supposed to be a day of just kind of bumming around the house doing nothing and you know relaxing yeah the kids didn't leave so <laughs> get a they job do that. <laughs> what yeah do i woke up and they were still there and uh, those relaxing plans went out the window all right, folks, uh, welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast. It's Brad's, well, it was Brad's birthday, and uh, he's, a, he's a year year older, but still with us. No, seriously, welcome to the show. Appreciate you uh, bearing with our uh, changed listening schedule. That was to accommodate for Brad to be able to celebrate with his family, and uh, also our first attempt at a special guest interview uh, for this episode, which didn't pan out this time, but um, will still happen in the near future. Uh, more info on that in a second, but uh, thanks for tuning into the show. Here to talk to you about all things Red Wings hockey, the world of the, world of the NHL, and this crazy offseason. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm old. And I'm Evan. Uh, I'm joined by Old and Evan to talk to you today about um, some other kind of minor Red Wings. Uh, well, there's a signing and then some news. Uh, we have more information on the contracts that the Red Wings signed. Obviously, they signed uh, COP. Sharat, uh, Peron, and, and Kubelik and Mata, as well as some others. And we have some more information about what goes into those contracts. There is a, an arbitration filing for Jake Wallman that we'll chat about and uh, John Klingberg rumors. So the probably the biggest name or one of the biggest names uh, on defense that has entered free agency this year is still left unsigned and Detroit is apparently in the mix on that one. So we'll be talking about what that would look like. Some clarification on Marco Casper and where he'll be playing next season. A little bit of information on uh, Red Wings development camp uh, as a preview to that conversation. And then the Red Wings hiring another assistant coach before talking about the rest of the NHL, some trades, some signings, things like that, and whatever else comes up. So, yeah, this this offseason has been a little bit of a whirlwind. I mean, it went straight from draft into free agency into this. So uh, we were expecting it to slow down by now, but... Here we still are. Before we get into all of that, uh, I just want to mention to everyone that uh, we are a proud supporter of the Jamie Daniels Foundation uh, through the Wings Money on the Money on the Board campaign that we started with uh, in partnership with Prashanth Iyer. You all have helped us raise over $32,000 for them last season. So that is really, really fantastic. Uh, if you want to learn more about the Jamie Daniels Foundation and find out how to offer your support, visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org org okay uh so we were supposed to have a special guest this episode um it didn't work out just due to scheduling um uh conflicts last second here but we do have it on the books or uh, hopefully on the books for next week so stay tuned for that one 
And uh, so this episode was a Monday. It's usually Sundays. And the next episode will come out Thursday night. So that's our recording schedule for this week. Okay, the Detroit Red Wings. They uh, they didn't weren't done. They signed one more player, uh, defenseman. Well, kind of defenseman, Mark Pesic, to a one year contract, thirty year old uh, right shot defenseman, or sometimes a right winger, um, to an eight hundred fifty thousand dollar contract. So flexible player for depth, right? Pure depth, injury insurance allows flexibility. Um, as we've talked about, Schrock can play left or right side. They want him on the strong side. Pesic could slot in there. You know, create kind of a competition between him and Lindstrom for that last spot. If they don't like what they see from Lindstrom from camp, it could be competition between Sherratt and, you know, Pesic for that last spot, which they'll give to Sherratt because, you know, you don't pay Sherratt that much money to scratch him. Right. But that's probably the insurance if Edvinson forces his way into the team and Pesic's the insurance if Edvinson doesn't force his way onto the team. And you, like you mentioned, injury is going to be – you need that kind of flexibility. You can't just be decrepit down the left or right side as the Red Wings were, especially down the left side last season. Um, you need guys who can kind of play all over the place. Not that Pesic's going to come up well, – sorry, I'm going to say something that's probably going to bite me in the ass. Not like he's going to come up and play on the first pair. But yeah, like you mentioned, play on either side and uh, t- allow for other players to play on their strong hand or, or strong side. And also, if he flips up to forward – that's great. I know he did that uh, before. Who was it with Buffalo or Dallas? Florida. Florida. Yeah. So he he flipped up to forward. So that was like for a few weeks. That wasn't anything significant, though. You know he can do it, though. You know he can do it. He did score a hat trick in one of those games. Look at that. He's uh, if he was if he's listed on cap friendly as a defenseman and a forward, he gets that from me. <laughs> so for all of you who want weird fantasy sleepers, guys who can be listed as either forward or defenseman. That's clutch. I'm pretty sure it's just him. Like, I can't think of anybody else in the league off the top of my head who would qualify for that right now. I'm sure there's someone, but it's not coming to mind. But yeah, no, like I said, he's a journeyman depth defenseman, a good journeyman depth defenseman, but not going to be an impact player. I mean, I brought up injuries and and we forgot to even mention that since we recorded our last episode, there has been injury news with Red Wings defensemen because we found out Jake Wallman won't be ready to start the season because of shoulder surgery. So that's one less body for opening night. Um, Not that they, again, Iserman has created a ton of depth and flexibility. So it's not like that's a significant blow to the Red Wings because, you know, between Pesic, Lindstrom, Edvinson, Osterley, two of those four are going to make up a bottom pair, do whatever you want with it. Um and yeah, I mean, there were far worse options on the market than Mark Pesic. Well, you mentioned the uh, the Wallman surgery. We found that out in Steve Eisenman's post well, post free agency presser. Essentially, if Eisenman didn't do the the press conference, we were all still kind of assuming he was working on something. And at the end of it, at one point in there, he said, "I'm not working on some uh, mega blockbuster." He said something to that effect. And I said. Well, now I think you are. <laughs> Why would you mention another one? Yeah. He told us to not believe anything yeah. you said. So I walk into Evan's house. Hey, I'm not going to kill you today. <laughs> How would you get into my house? I know where you live. I'm going to feed feed Fred next week. That's right. I'm really excited. Yes, he is excited as well. That's cute. Should I bring Abby? No. <laughs> that would be bad. Very bad. For whom? Probably you more than anyone. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh for a little uh, glossary here, Fred is Evan's cat. Abby is my dog. Yes. Um, so 
Eisman opened the presser. He obviously was was taking questions, and uh, one of the first notable things he mentioned was that Dominic Kubelik was a pleasant surprise to be able to sign. Uh, noted him, and unsurprisingly, as a scoring winger, believes in his ability to be uh, be as such, and thinks he came in on a pretty reasonable deal, two years at two point five million. And it's like we mentioned last episode, that was one man's trash or one man's. You know, you decide to tear down your entire team and. 48 hours is another GM's treasure. That's what happened in Chicago. So first it was Pew Suter, now it's Dominic Kubelik, and it looks like the Red Wings and Eisenman share the same sentiment and be able to add that kind of potential scoring depth for cheap, not giving up any assets other than the cap hit. Not always easy to do. The next thing he noted, I think uh, it had themes of this throughout the press conference, and it's going to be really interesting to watch over the offseason. Asked about Simon Edmondson, he did say if he's ready to play in a regular role, that would be great for us. And if he earns his spot, then he's going to have his spot. It's not a problem. I said later, too many good players is a good problem to have or not a problem at all. Like He wants that kind of competition. He noted that he's bringing in guys, and this doesn't apply only to the rookies like Edvinson or young players like Edvinson. This applies to the older players or more experienced ones as well. He wants competition in camp for those roster spots. You know, he cited his experience playing with guys like Chelios and Lidstrom who elevated every single, you know, practice or, or training camp or what have you. And uh, obviously, Eisman's drawing on what made a successful team for him in his time in Detroit and as a GM in Tampa. So that it, it's it's unsurprising. It's not a novel concept, but the Red Wings haven't had a problem where there have been too many good players for roster spots. Yeah, I've noticed a lot of chatter in Red Wings social media about, oh, we can't sign anybody because then, you know, Rasmussen loses his job or Valeno loses his job or, you know, pick any random good depth player. And those were never risks before because, well, there were many, many bad players upon these guys. Um, the good teams in the NHL scratch good players. That's the reality of it. That's where the Red Wings need to get if they want to be competitive. Now, you know, I don't think, you know, a guy like who we've got slotted in on the fourth line right now, like Michael Rasmussen or Oscar Sundqvist are going to be game changers for the Red Wings at any point. So if they get scratched, yeah, that's understandable. Same with, you know, you could look at, like we talked about, Pesic or Lindstrom or Osterley. These are not the guys to get hung up on on roster decisions. So if a good player like Simon Edvinson forces his way onto the team and as a result, the Red Wings have to scratch, let's say, Lindstrom and Pesic and Osterley and Wallman. My answer to that is good. Yeah. Like, that's a fantastic problem to have because it gives you depth. It gives you options. And if you run into an issue, you have too many good players. Hey, guess what? A guy like Jake Wallman probably has a little bit of trade value to get you another asset. You know, if you don't like the way the fourth line is performing and you want to go get another fourth line winger and Jake Wallman's not playing a regular role for you, hey, some problems can solve themselves. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen again. That's perfect health. That's not going to happen. Wallman's already injured. Fabry's already injured. And there's going to be more injuries to come. But don't get hung up on depth players. Because, you know, look at Tampa and Colorado and some of the players they were scratching down the stretch. They would have played second line on the Red Wings for a good chunk of last year. Mm -hmm. So it's a good problem to have. And even though you like some of these players and, you know, we will like most of them, it's going to happen. 
is a little bit of this a symptom of the Red Wings and fandom and obviously, you know, three meatheads on a podcast just focusing in on anything that you could draw from the Red Wings. And that has oftentimes been players who are on other teams less than stellar or what has been a second liner for the Red Wings would be a fourth liner uh, for other teams. And so we hyper fixate and probably over overvalue players in our heads. And we say, well, there's no way that you could possibly, you know, scratch a this third pairing defenseman on Detroit because he's done such a good job to, to to cement himself in the roster and it's not fair that he gets bounced. But like you said, Brad. Be better then. Yeah. It's common yeah. practice. Like that that's just the world of the NHL. And and you alluded to this, Brad. It's not a guarantee that it's going to happen. No. Like Ed- Edmondson still has to come in and grab the spot. Like Lucas Raymond, we were talking all offseason and all training camp like He's got to come in and, you know, steal someone's spot. And Jeff Blashill made the joke that his wife has to be able to tell he's good. And we obviously ran with that joke for a good amount of content. But that's exactly what Raymond did last year. Like, nobody was questioning him being on the opening night. It was after training camp and preseason going, there's no way you can't play this guy. And I'm pretty sure that scenario has to play out with Edmondson for him to make the team. If he If he goes through training camp in preseason, he go, yeah, he was good. Not spectacular, but good. He's going to the AHL because they have guys who are good, who ha- are ready for those spots. And then they can go work on whatever they want to work on with Edmondson in Grand Rapids. Yeah. If a player can't beat out, you know, Gustav Lindstrom, two of Gustav Lindstrom, Jake Wallman, Jordan Osterley, et cetera, for a roster spot, then they are an AHL player right now. And that's not to say Edmondson is like it. It's not an indictment on Edvinson. Not everyone, actually most prospects won't be able to do what Sider and, and Raymond did, but it's it's about that competition. 90% of prospects don't do what Sider and Raymond did last year. And to cap it off, uh, even though the Red Wings, you know, Eisman went in and brought a lot of viable players for these roster spots, the Red Wings are not the Colorado Avalanche yet. They're not the Tampa Bay Lightning. They're not, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs having to let good players go in free agency. They are far cry, but they are also in a much better position than the Red Wings of the past three or four years. Yeah. The difference between the main difference between the Red Wings this year and last year is now they have a first line, a second line, a third line, and a fourth line of guys talented enough to play on a first line, a second line, a third line, and a fourth line. And in some cases, even a line above where they're slotted in. Where the Red Wings lack now is I don't consider any of those lines to be in the top 10 to 20% of those lines relative to the league. Is Kopp, Peron, Veron, Verona a good second line? I'd say it's about league average, maybe a little below. On paper. But last year, their second line was a third line. So that's, even though it's still, you know, there's still lots of room for upgrades in order to be a contender, you're at least in the conversation of guys are slotting in on lines, like if you want to use it numerically, that they belong on, that their skill level matches up to. And you could even make the case for guys like Zadine and Kubelik if their development goes just a little bit better than you would think that they are second line players now and you're going to be playing them on their third line. Because again, that's what contenders do. The Colorado Avalanche's third line is better than the Red Wings' second line, even now. So it's just little things like that to always keep in the back of your mind. So if you ever have that thought, we can't sign this good player because this guy's in that spot. Well, is that good player better than that guy in the spot? He is. 
then there's no argument. You sign him and you figure out what to do with everybody below them. Like, that's how this should work. I don't care how much you like that guy. I don't care how old or how much money that guy makes. Like, that matters in terms of contracts, but not roster building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You figure that out. You just have to be dead inside like a like a Vegas fan at this point. <laughs> <laughs> they have assume, not existed long enough to be dead inside do yet. Do not buy a jersey of someone who's a superstar on that team because there's a high chance they're gone for nothing before the end of the season. That patch already trade still drives me nuts. I get it, but I also don't. <laughs> I don't. Um, continuing on, you know, the, the competition and the – you know, Eisenman noted that he feels good about what he's done for the team so far. Didn't kind of cap off any signings. We'll talk a little in a little bit here about one that might be in the works. We'll see where that conversation is. Or trades, like he's going to do his due diligence, but he he does set, uh, feel good about where the team is going into camp. And you have to imagine, it was almost in one fell swoop that he brought in quite a bit of talent on this roster to, as Brad just mentioned, filled in. You know, first line, keeping the first line players in the first line, second line, and so on. Um, he now has enough of a, a complete roster where when he says that, you believe him. You believe that, yeah, if you go into camp with this roster, and not to mention guys who are going to come in from overseas, Soderblom, Johansson, et cetera, uh, who could also challenge for spots. You never know what's going to happen. There's going to There's enough where there should be a healthy amount of competition. Uh, one thing that I think was important that Eisman talked about was uh, asked about Ben Sherratt and Olimata. He flat out said they're expected to play with Sider and Hronik in the top four. And I, I think that's good to call out. I think a lot of people are already trying to relegate, you know, Sherratt to the third line or Mata as a scratch. These guys were brought in for a reason. Who is slotting higher than them? Fantastic question. It's Jeff Jeff Blaschel forgot his pylons in the coach's room. <laughs> they thought, I don't know, they were, they were hoping for a Jeff Petrie trade or something. Remember after 20 minutes of Jake Wallman, we immediately declared him the best left <laughs> defense on the Red Wings, and we at, weren't wrong about it? Yeah. Yeah, Sherrod and Mata are, are going to play in the top four. I think it's a lot of people who are hoping Edvinson comes in and does what Sider does. And hey, look, I think we hope so too, but you have to set realistic expectations and not overwhelm a rookie defenseman. Wait, right people think Edvinson and Sider would play together day one? They would have to for Edvinson to do what Sider does because they're not reducing Sider's <laughs> minutes. There's, it's not, it's actually not crazy that Edvinson comes in and does what Sider does. There has, there have been a lot of, you know, no, 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 that's not what I mean. I mean, they thought that they would be a pairing. Maybe. That doesn't seem like a great play to me. Yeah, I wouldn't do it. But I don't even think that's insane. Like for future, but for Edvinson's rookie year, if he makes the team, you kind of want to shelter him a bit. Yeah. Actually, sheltering him a bit. <laughs> I don't know, I'm thinking about it. Sheltering him a bit maybe is playing with Cider. <laughs> 24 but minutes a night. 24 though. minutes is different. Yeah. But yeah, this is uh, this is where uh, if Edvinson is so good that he makes the team, but you want to shelter him a bit, you either put him with Mark Pesic or you teach Jake Wallman to play the right side. <laughs> or actually, Sherratt plays on the other side or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because a Sherratt-Edvinson pairing probably would be a good way to shelter Edvinson. Because, you know, for all Sherratt's flaws as a player and his contract, he's got a long history of playing with top defensemen and doing it well. So, he knows how to play to let a guy like Edvinson do what he needs to do. Yeah, they didn't make Sherratt the first and third highest paid defenseman on the Red Wings to do anything other than stabilize the top four, which is important, right? Like, Hronik's in a pretty pivotal year. 
though productive, hasn't seen the development uh, and has seen dips in his game that have been pretty not what he was looking for, or what the Red Wings were have been looking for over the past couple seasons. And of course, Sider's coming off a phenomenal year, but you want to make sure that he has better players to play with than what he had in his rookie season. So that shouldn't be a surprise. I can see Mata with Sider. I can see Shira with Sider. I'm sure we're going to find, we're going to see some playing around with the lines by Derek Lalonde and his staff until they find something that settles in. But for now, I think you can pencil in Mata, Sider, Sherat, Ronick in, in the top four in some order. Um, and that's barring something just going catastrophically wrong with the, the chemistry or injury. That's what they were brought in for. Um, Eisenman did note that uh, they thought the Jake Wallman signing would get done. So Wallman electing for arbitration doesn't make it um, impossible to get it done. It's just kind of a procedural thing. So Wallman electing for arbitration just basically sets the wheels in motion for him to have his case heard by a third party uh, arbiter. And, and it goes to arbitration court where they essentially decide what the value is based on the team's uh, offer and the player's asks. A, I, I'm fairly certain it still works now where um, the dates for arbitration are anywhere from July 27th to August 11th. So the Red Wings have up until the start of his arbitration date uh, to figure out a contract amongst themselves. If not, then the, uh, then it'll be settled in the NHL's arbitration court. And that's how that'll get done. Yeah, it's just a safety net for the player. It, yeah. Nothing more at this point. It, there's still some time before anything gets decided and so many of them do get decided before almost all of them get decided beforehand very few actually go to arbitration that's what makes the fact that Bertuzzi did the one year notable because it's so rare that that actually happens yeah and it's an ugly process arbitration it's become more just stats and analytics driven not like in the old days where Scotty Bowman would pull up <laughs> video of Mike Vernon letting in a stinker from center ice and going see this is why we're not paying him <laughs> You kind of miss that, though. The, the NHL <laughs> should sell that. They should encourage more Seriously. arbitration and sell pay-per-view. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and like you mentioned, Brad, uh, Wallman had sh- shoulder surgery. So, like Fabry, won't be ready for the start of the season. He did say both players should be okay. Um, yeah. But I think Fabry should take quite a bit of time, actually, based on his timeline to, yeah. to repair that ACL. But And they with the roster now, they can afford to wait out Fabry. Yeah. Not oh, push yeah. him back. Another benefit of having depth and flexibility. <laughs> And if the roster is completely as is with full health when Fabry comes back, then that makes things a little bit more interesting. Like right now, if everybody plays their natural position and obviously, you know, some guys can play off wings, yada, yada, yada. But if we just look at handedness, it's probably Fabry their fourth line winger, fourth, le- fourth line left wing. I don't think you can. If Kubali comes in and plays well. You're not like we got to assume Verona's not going to the fourth line. We got to assume Bertuzzi's not going to the first fourth line. If Kubalik plays well, you don't demote him to the fourth line. They'll go Kubalik, Suter, Fabry, and Zudina moves down. Yeah, someone like obviously of all the top nine guys, someone's gonna play poorly. It it always happens. Like nobody bats a thousand, no team bats a thousand. So whoever underperforms will create the shifting for Fabry to slot in in the top nine, but. It could get interesting because that means that when with no further injuries early in the season, someone very good is going to be playing on the fourth line. And again, that's a fourth line that already probably looks like Rasmussen, Valeno, Sunfist, which by typical Red Wing standards is better. Very above average fourth line, not relative to the rest of the league, but relative to the last seven years, it's probably the best fourth line they've seen. 
this is actually exactly what they need for Rasmussen, right? Like he's not going to be asked to be play, played in a middle six role. Yeah. And if they have enough centermen down the lineup to genuinely play with him, then he can stay on the wing where he's performed better. Yeah. And then if he moves up, it's because he's earned the spot, not because he's asked to play on the first line <laughs> anymore. Yeah, like there could be a world here where Michael Rasmussen plays eight minutes at even strength, but that allows him to really focus on his power play duties. And all of a sudden that net front presence that, you know, we've been waiting since he's been drafting to see on the power play maybe starts to come to fruition because he doesn't have to worry about much else. He can keep it, keep his game super simple on the fourth line. He's not taking super tough matchups. And then all of a sudden, you know, he was drafted as a specialist. Now he's allowed to really focus on being that specialist. Like, again, there's just so many benefits to having depth. Um, one thing I want to zero in on that Eisman talked about was uh, talking about Andrew Kopp. Mentioned that at the age of 28 and how they view him as a pretty uh, versatile athlete, you know, across the forward position and uh, all three forward positions and playing a 200-foot game, they felt pretty comfortable giving him a five-year contract. And it's not going to be anything people haven't been able to infer on the, by themselves, but it looks like, you know, Cop was big on having that fifth year. Like Eisman called out, he said, yeah, I, I had no issue giving out that five-year contract. But it's also a good point. You know, we talked about term, but we also talked about this last episode. The term isn't awful. And at 28, and the fact that he can play center, and, and you noted a couple of things about his contract as well, Brad, before we were recording, that lands, right? That tracks five years is not, by no means do I think that's a bad or, or overextension of, of term. No, it's just going to come down to an argument of value probably towards the last couple of years because with who Andrew Kopp is as a player and like I've been noted about his flexibility, he'll be useful for all five years of this contract. There's no question about that unless something catastrophically awful happens, you know, a la Eric Carlson, you know, beyond anybody's control. There's no way that Andrew Kopp isn't one of the 12 best forwards on this team and providing value in some way. It's just is that value going to be worth the cap hit in the last couple of years? Because, you know, if Andrew Kopp's a third line winger, because, you know, let's say Marco Casper is killing it as a second line center and someone, other young guy comes in and steals a third line center role and is doing good there. And you flex Kopp to the wing. Yeah, well, ideally, you don't want to be paying a third line winger almost $6 million in cap hit. So that's the downside of it. But if you're just looking at him as a player, yeah, no, there's not a lot of concerns with five years on him. And other than that, it was just business as usual. I think a couple of nice notes about it's cool that free agents are coming to Detroit more and more, but nothing that we haven't covered over the past episode in a bit. So, uh, why don't we get here to the the terms of these contracts that have come out and most notably the uh, no move or limited no move clauses that have come in. So Andrew Kopp, David Perron on his uh, Andrew Kopp on his five year deal, David Perron on his two year deal and Ben Sherratt on his four year deal all have a player submitted modified no trade clause. It's a 10 team no trade list. So that is allowing for 22 other teams for the Red Wings to trade those players too. So not a full no trade clause, not a full no move clause. Um, pretty, in my mind, limited in terms of those kind of catches where a GM has to has his hands tied with their contract. Yeah, pretty standard business nowadays, it seems, with most free agents. You know, guys want at least a little bit of control. You know, if Buffalo's in the middle of another awful tank, 
players probably want to uh, avoid the the nuclear meltdown so this allows them to do it while still giving the gm flexibility um yeah i i don't think there's many big free agent contracts or even notable free agent contracts anymore that don't have at least something like this involved. Billy Huso also has the same thing, by the way, in case it wasn't noted. The only player right now who has a full no trade clause is Dylan Larkin in the last year of his contract. So we'll see what works into his actual um, contract now that he's he's his expiry status is a uh, unrestricted free agent. So obviously we're waiting for that extension. And I mean, we're still waiting on word for the Tyler Bertuzzi contract as well, right? Uh, as well, Philip Sedina is um, one of the two remaining RFAs. He doesn't have Arbright's like Jake Wallman does, so we're still waiting to see how the Philip Sedina negotiations are going. Uh, no real word on that yet. I'm wondering how that one will go because the team, not, not saying they've given up on Zadina by no means, but obviously his development hasn't gone based on their plans for him, and I'm sure they've wanted more. Michael Rasmussen, whose production has been similar, whether people like it or not, uh, doesn't have a a big number. He has a two-year deal at under 1.5, and I'm wondering if that's close to what the team is is hoping to get him at. Well, when Rasmussen signed that, it was a three-year deal. For I could see this going a lot of ways because if Zadina thinks there's a lot of room for improvement in his game, which I hope he would, he's probably looking for like a one-year, two-year deal, just kind of like approve it to get – uh, bigger payday on his next contract where if the Red Wings like Sedina and they the rumors of them shopping him aren't true, they probably want a contract that looks pretty similar to Rasmussen's. Like, hey, if we can get an extra year or two of control out of this at a small cap hit, if Zadina does finally pop off, then that's tremendous value. Now, that being said, if the Red Wings don't plan on keeping him for a while, maybe not the case. So, I don't know. There's a lot of moving parts in this one and a lot of interesting variables that, you know, without even knowing, even if you did know, would make it difficult because you could argue it both ways. So, yeah, I'm, I'm super, super curious to see what it comes in. Ultimately, what I'm I'm thinking will end up happening will be a fairly cheap two-year deal just because, you know, the Red Wings get that extra year of control if they so need it. Um Zadina for Zadina it's not too long that you know if he if this is his breakout year he's only underpaid essentially for a season which Mm -hmm. isn't too too bad so I think it'll look something like that probably a few more dollars than what Rasmussen got just because Zadina's upside still is higher than Rasmussen's was at any point so you know that is worth something not a lot but something so I think that's what it'll come down to. Okay, so those are the contracts. Actually, one more thing. I thought a lot of Evan about what you said last episode. What did I say? <laughs> You're going to learn this for the first time. Yeah. You, you just black out before episodes. That's right. Uh, the Ben Chirot contract, I really am coming around on it. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. No, it's it's. I, I don't think anything we talked about was unfair in terms of term. Like, I don't think any of that was out of the question and especially when your job is to kind of zero in on every single contract individually and say yeah good value no bad value etc we landed on you know this is a guy who's going to play top four minutes and especially when Eisenman talked about these guys are going to come in and stabilize the game for Sider and Hronig and whoever's playing that top four to get that at the cap hit Eisenman brought him in at which is 4.75 for four years is I could be 10 million bucks higher in 10 years and or five years and it probably won't, but 
Yeah. It won't be as much a percentage of your overall cap. And we talked about it. It's just the term. But in my mind, it's not too much different than cop. It's like, okay, how much term would you have wanted? One year less, maybe two if you want to be like ultra greedy. But there's no way a center goes for that little term and that little money in this market. Same can be said for a top four defenseman. Then there's a whole argument is, do you want him to be a top four defenseman on a competitive team? Well, you know, would he be on Colorado? Probably not. But on these Red Wings, yeah, he absolutely is. And the fact of the matter is that the Red Wings are choosing to move forward and choosing not to go down in the dumps with the teams competing for Connor Bedard next year in the the draft lottery. So, uh, yeah, if it's a little bit of a premium in terms of an extra year of AAV, I'm pretty okay with that contract. Like the whole thing is just uh, the Red Wings have a different set of priorities right now than teams competing for the Cup. So, it's going to be dictated by how much value he brings. Like Mark Stahl on paper was going to be absolutely awful for Detroit. And he came in and he brought tangible value to the to the ice for Detroit. So we'll see how that translates for Sherratt. But as of right now, it's not really a concern for me. I don't know. Would you say it's... <sighs> You're going to make me do it. Would you say it's fine? <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> you know, that, that's okay. Can't please this guy. No, hey, you can't. Geez. I've been nothing but optimistic for like, Three that, months here. That is the biggest lie of all time. Another Brad year has been older. Optimistic, mostly, but no, it's okay. So he almost said it too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't actually. Ben Schrott is good. He's definitely a top four defenseman on this team, and the analytics community hates him more than they should. The old boys club loves him more than he should. He is a good three to five guy with a lot of flexibility. Yeah, I understand. I, I don't disagree. I, I understand all of that, and I understand, especially this upcoming season and year after that, why that is super important to help with the development of guys like Cider and Edvinson. I get all of that. I expect the Red Wings to be playing meaningful playoff games in year three and four of this contract for Ben Schrott, which means they're going to probably have a few more big ticket contracts on the books. They're going to have better players. You don't want at that point. I don't want Ben Schrott as a top four defenseman. At that point. You know, Mo Sider and Lucas Raymond are going to be making close to possibly $20 million combined on their contracts, plus whatever Dylan Larkin's extension comes in. In the short term, there's a lot of value to Ben Sherratt. But in the last two years of this contract, paying what should hopefully be a fringe top six defenseman on a good team, nearly $5 million, could end up hindering a lot of what the Red Wings should be hoping to do at that point. Now, if the Red Wings are just, you know, making the playoffs and getting blown out in the first round every year at that point still, okay, yeah, whatever. You're not wrong. Who cares? But I would expect at the very least by year four of this contract, the Red Wings to be better than that. Like, you know, competing in the playoffs, all of a sudden that's the year where like we're talking, hey, maybe this is the year they make some noise. Because, you know, Marco Casper should be up, Berggren should be up, Johansson should be up, Wallner should be up, all these Soderbloom, all these prospects that we're super, super hyped about that we think are going to make the Red Wings really, really good. They should be contributing by then. The Red Wings will have them on ELC. So you're hoping they're the team now angling for the Johnny Goudreau's of the world. And if you miss, like, look at what happened in Philly right now. And obviously this is huge over-exaggeration for what the Red Wings are now. They could not sign Johnny Goudreau because of Rasmus Ristolainen and Tony D'Angelo's contracts, right? Like, you never know what's going to be that thing that hinders you. And given that, in my opinion, there were players who bring similar value to what Ben Sherratt does, who signed for less term and less dollars, 
it wasn't the great move. Again, I'm not trying to diminish what's been an old, like an unbelievably positive week for the Red Wings. And if you tell me the only way all the other signings happen is if we have to get settled with the Ben Chirac contract, I still redo it all exactly the same because it's worth it. But if you told me that, hey, instead of signing Ben Chirac to this contract, you could have had hypothetically Jan Ruda for a year less and almost half the salary, I'd have done that. Unfortunately, I think that's a good point. Like I, 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 I don't think anything you said there is unfair. I think there's an argument to be made for, and also he's 31. There's an argument. <laughs> there's an argument to be made for if you want the Red Wings to be able to take the next step. Like we talked about the competition in the roster and and how bringing in veteran players who have been there done that helps your young players along. Then there's someone who might agree with you completely on your valuation of, of Ben Schrott says it's a necessary evil in terms of bringing in a player like this because he will help shelter and bring in more viability for your your defensive core. And you don't build a team overnight, right? Eisman said it in his press conference. Expect this group to take some time to settle in. You, you just mashed up quite a bit of chemistry. It's not going to work right off the hop. So an argument here would be, Okay, yeah, that's all fair, um, but two things might make it neutral. One, like Evan said, the cap going up, and if it goes up significantly, then that makes it way more stomachable. And two, um, it's if you want to get better now to get prepared to be a playoff team, to get prepared to add bigger ticket free agents, you got to take those little steps. I, I don't think you're wrong, though, Brad. Like, I, I think those are a lot of good points where not everything's happy-go-lucky and not every contract is perfect. I think this is just a calculated move where, you know, you have to take your lumps as a GM and you have to take your lumps as a player when signing contracts. And this is one where the Red Wings said, we want to add the toughness on the blue line. We want to add another bonafide top four defenseman. And this is the demand for it. And this is this is who we got. It, we also talked about it last episode. The league loves Ben Chirot. It doesn't matter what – well, it matters. But you know, regardless of what the analytics community, analytics community thinks of him, a prominent Stanley Cup contender just paid a fortune for him at the deadline. So very clearly, he still has value. So, Yeah, I like Ben Chirot, the player. I have no problems with Ben Chirot. Yeah, like I said, it's just if you like what Ben Chirot brings, I just – all, my my point ultimately comes down to is I just feel like there were a lot of like more than a few cheaper, similar options available. All right. Other side of the break, we'll talk uh, another aging defenseman uh, who might come in on free agency or is not at least- that old. <laughs> Practically <Downright> just. Young. <laughs> no, right. A baby <laughs> uh, who might come into the Red Wings, uh, some other small Red Wings updates and league news. But for now, I want to talk to you about. Uh, the FanDuel Sportsbook, today's sponsor for the Winged Wheel podcast. They're a sponsor that gives hockey fans what we really need, even more excitement in the game. There's so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. They're simple to use with great odds on different betting markets, giving you more action every game day. Plus, they're tons of fun with unique bet types like same game parlay and exclusive promos on the biggest events. And when you win, you get your winnings back safely in as little as 24 hours. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win that first bet. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you'll get up to $1,000 back in site credit. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app today to get started with that risk-free bet of up to $1,000 and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. 
Must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. John Klingberg. Surprised that he's still unsigned? Not based on what his initial contract demands were. Do we know the number on what he's demanding? No, we do not. Too high, though. But they know we know he wanted seven or eight years. I'm mildly surprised. I can never tell where the NHL is on the defense, the defensive market. And it's often in overpay mode. But Klingberg seems to be, like you said, Brad, holding out for a number that he's probably not going to get in terms of years. He wants seven. He wants the max that he can get on the market. Um, well, I am surprised by reports that the Red Wings are in on him to some capacity. Here's John Klingberg in terms of how he would fit in on the Red Wings. On the right side, obviously, would really make for an interesting right side. Imagining no one moves out, that Cider klingberg Ronick as your third pairing and, you know, Lindstrom is on the outs or whoever else might be vying for that right-hand defensive uh, spot they'd be on the outs but he would command a big number based on just how the market's going his contract prediction right now per evolving hockey is is uh six years just under 6.9 million dollars nice yeah and a seven-year term is is almost as likely just based on how things go so it's just a, a projection it doesn't have to hold true and the reports are that the red wings were in on him or have been but not at the term he's asking for so that fits, right? Like, Eisenman isn't going to sign a 31. How old is he? He'll be 30 next month. Yeah. A, he's 29 right now. He's 30 as of, yeah, August 14th. So, he'll start the season as a 30-year-old. Probably doesn't want, want to sign him for seven years. Even six years. Even five. I could see, based on how I the Red Wings have done it. I could see five, but... You know, John Klingberg is really good, and he f- right now the Red Wings don't have a second power play quarterback, which he would come in and fill. Um, obviously, that's probably you know one of the biggest weaknesses on this roster as constructed now, unless the unless the Red Wings just want to say screw it and deploy five forwards on a unit, because um, right now the only capable defense they have defenseman of running a power play is Mo Sider, because uh, we've seen in the past Phil Peronic is not it. Olimata is not it. Ben Schrott is not it. And I don't think that's something you would want Simon Edmondson to be doing year one. I mean, he probably is the second best option right now. Um, and he's not even a guarantee to make the team. So Klingberg brings a lot of value there. And again, as I mentioned earlier, don't be afraid to upgrade, right? If, you know, signing John Klingberg means Gustav Lindstrom and Mark Pesek never play a game this year for the Red Wings. Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. Totally okay. Um, and, and you know, obviously that applies. Now, Klingberg's not exactly most defensively sound. That's the part of his game. Great yeah. offensive impacts, like you said, yeah. the power play, great. Yeah. Defense. Le- Leaves a lot to be. He, he was like a minus a billion on a playoff team last year. And I know plus minus is a flawed stat, but it's worth noting. You know, it's why you have guys like Sherratt and Mata, because if those are the two guys that pair with Sider and Klingberg, okay, yeah, you have your your defensive help for Klingberg. 
But what it ultimately comes down to is you get a guy who fills one huge need and he's really, really damn good at that. And he's an upgrade on, you know, the guys he'd be replacing, obviously. But does John Klingberg really make or break this team? I'd say no. And the fact that he's going to be 30 and the fact that he's probably going to command close to $7 million, that is a hell of a lot of risk. And, you know, I threw out the tweet saying, hey, guys, like, let's just keep in mind he's going to be 30 next month with literally no opinion beyond just pointing out that he's going to be 30 next month. And obviously, I got a lot of hate and comments for that yeah we paid for that evan yeah actually you know and one person tried dunking on me and it was a very valid dunk because i was very wrong about it but it almost proved my point where he's like hey weren't you the guy like banging the table for eric carlson a few years ago in a very similar circumstance and i absolutely was um the difference being eric carlson was arguably a top five player in the world at that point because i think people forget how good eric carlson was pre-achilles injury And that contract has been a disaster for San Jose, kind of proving my point. Like, no matter how good the player is at 30, there's a lot of potential for things to go wrong. Now, with Carlson, it was injury um, and not anything. And to be fair, Eric Carlson's still way better than people give him credit for, but not worth the contract he got. Players start to decline at this point. Now, defensemen generally can get more leeway with age than forwards can, but when Klingberg's an offensive defenseman. That's generally the first thing that tends to go. And there's a reason no other team has given him his contract demands yet. Right. So we can sit here and say, is he worth a, you know, a six by six? My answer right now would be no. And would that make sense for the Red Wings? My answer would still be no. Um, would you do a five by six? I'd consider it. Yeah. Uh, that, that's kind of in the range where I'm like, it's on the upper end of what I would do, but like I could justify it. I wouldn't love it though, because again, cap flexibility, it's easy to look at all the cap space the Red Wings have right now. I don't care about their cap situation for the next two years because Lucas Raymond and Mo Siders and Dylan Larkin's contract extensions don't matter in those years. They will for years three, four, five, six of whatever contracts Eisenman signing right now. So if you're paying, you know, in year four of Andrew Kopp and Ben Schrott and potentially John Klingberg's contract and those three guys who by that point in their career are probably bottom half of the lineup players. Well, I would say almost certainly are bottom and half lineup players. That's almost 16 million for what at that point. So I'm not saying Klingberg's a bad player and I'm not even saying he's a necessarily a bad candidate to age well, but just understand there is a lot of areas of risk with John Klingberg right now. Here's a little bit of uh, a little bit of tinfoil hat based on what we know of Hronik. Maybe Klingberg is a target because they don't expect Hronik to be on the team long term, right? If if Hronik's getting traded, then sure, I understand that. Don't get me wrong. I think John Klingberg is a much better player than Philip Pronick, and I think he does things that the Red Wings need that Philip Pronick has no capability of doing. But if you just look at their raw production, it's concerningly close. It's similar. It's similar. But Hrona could be could fetch more in a trade, right? Yeah. If you get Klingberg on a four or a five-year contract essentially for free and you're getting you know a second-round pick and a half-decent prospect back for Hrona, yeah, that's a tidy piece of asset management. Um, and there's ways to structure Klingberg's contract. So maybe the last couple of years aren't so risky. You front-loaded, et cetera, et cetera. There's ways to make this work. And again, I'm not saying that if the Rings do it, it's a disaster. There's a lot of reasons this makes a lot of sense for the Red Wings, and it would be great for the Red Wings. And if he does stay healthy and 
you know, ages at least, I'm not even going to say great, at least half decently, I could see this being a huge home run for the Red Wings. But again, it's a 30-year-old defenseman who's awful defensively. Can't tell me that doesn't come with a lot of risk. Yes or no on John Klingberg? Lule Morello had $15 million on his fourth line, and he's a GM of the year, so what do I know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, how'd the Islanders do last year? Not good. (laughs) (laughs) The Red Wings have $10.3 million-ish of cap space with um, the Zadina presumable contract to come and the Jake Wallman decision to come, either through arbitration or beforehand. After that, you know, Brad, you've made a lot of good points. Dylan Larkin's new contract will start up. Tyler Bertuzzi, presumably same thing. A year after that, Jacob Verana is going to need a new deal. Um, there's quite a f- bit of contract. There's going to be lots of John Klingbergs available in three to five years. Yeah. There's going to be the next one when the Red Wings are – the vision is a little bit more clear. Yeah, and there's always trades. Look at Carolina is apparently one of the teams that was heavy in on John Klingberg. And then they got – Brent, Brent Burns. Burns for less term, similar production, similar risks, but and also less dollars with salary retained, and they did not have to give up a hell of a lot in trade to do that. And now they get elephants at their arena. Which yeah. is sweet. Oh, man, imagine their uh, storm surges with that. It'll be a literal circus. Yeah. We've always called it a circus, and now they can have Intangibles. The- That's what you're trading for. I wouldn't be surprised if, if you know, they offered Klingberg something similar in term to what Sherratt got, right? Like we said, four years is too long for Sherratt, but that was probably the concession where they, the Red Wings were like, okay, we'll give you a fourth year, a third and fourth year, um, take a little bit of a hit on the dollars, which seems to be how it worked out. And it, that just wasn't going to fly for Klingberg, Klingberg. I get that from Klingberg's perspective. High producing defensemen on the market can typically get more out of a contract than their you know, more defensive brethren, but uh, that to me seems like a plausible scenario. Yeah, I, if, if if Klingberg's willing to take the Sherrod contract, <laughs> you do it ten times out of oh, ten. Like sure. that's yeah, yeah. that's phenomenal. Klingberg's a way better player than Ben Sherrod is, albeit in dramatically different ways. But yeah, I I I generally fall to the side of I do like John Klingberg. I would like John Klingberg on the Red Wings, but holy shit, be careful with how you structure that contract. Yeah, it's it was encouraging to hear that the term was the issue right away because you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah they're this. not giving him six, seven, eight years because well, well they, they can't give him eight, yeah. but yeah, yeah, because at least the fact that it wasn't like a seven year, like everyone in on him is fighting for a seven year contract, like to know that that wasn't a risk, it's like okay, good. good See, it seems like the NHL this offseason, by and large, outside of Philly, has learned their lesson. <laughs> <laughs> Man, oh man, Philly fans are in but a like, bad place. Those Darnell Nurse, Seth Jones, like the lunacy of those contracts doesn't seem to be happening. Everybody, but like a couple contracts have seemed, even the bad ones have seemed like you get it. You know what I mean? Like it's understandable. I, yeah. I'm okay with that. You know, there's still been waiting a, on the cadre deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's been enough. <laughs> there's been more than a, I shouldn't even say enough. There's been a lot of contracts over the last 10 years that have just absolutely sewer teams beyond however bad they thought it could that teams are like yeah we're not flexibility is king don't get tied down to too much money no matter how much you like a player you can always find a better option even if that better means a slightly worse player but at like a third of the cost there's always better options and you know you can capitalize like the opportunity with Klingberg is that 
the market waited him out. Now, you know, a guy who is probably wanting a, a seven by seven or something along those lines is almost certainly not getting that. If I'm him, I'd now take a one, two year deal, whatever the cap hit would may be, and just go to a contender. Maybe Eisenman gets creative here. Oh, you wanted six and a half to seven mil per year on a seven year deal? <laughs> Joke's on you. We're not giving you that. We're going to give you eight, but it's only going to be for three years. Like there's there's creativity like that that can now be. Yeah. You know, and if in the year three, the Red Wings aren't where they thought they would be playoff wise, John Klingberg at four mil with half retained probably gets you a hell of a return at the trade deadline. So, you know, maybe that's the case. I don't know. There's a lot of ways John Klingberg could still play out, not just for Detroit, but league wide. Even Dallas can circle back on him now if all of a sudden his contract demands start to seem reasonable. All right, some other quick Red Wings news here uh, from development camp. Amadeus Lombardi hit the Michigan. Hell yeah. Had what was a hat trick in a four-point game. Yeah, and from all accounts, really stood out in one of the games. That was fun. We talked about it. I mean, you talked about it especially, Brad. That was a pick where you're like, oh, that could be a uh, a steal where they got him. Yep, and hey, you know, it's been a week, but (laughs) so far so good. Yeah. Kid has the confidence to pull off a Michigan. Yeah. Love it. Uh, the Red Wings added another assistant coach to their staff. Um, Jay Verady uh, was hired as assistant coach for the Red Wings uh, from the Arizona system, and he was actually USHL Coach of the Year in 2016-2017. So he'll join associate coach Bob Bugner um, and existing assistant coach Alex Tangay under Derek Lalonde. Derek Lalonde on that team. So, um, And then there was a, uh, a small rumor for a hot second about Marco Casper that he'd be actually – playing for the Ottawa 67s in the OHL next season. The 67s notably um, have his rights if he does come over to the CHL, but it doesn't like that kind of got quashed by um, a good source, Marco Casper himself. Yeah. So he's in an Instagram comment of he, all places. Yeah. Oh, I know I'm old. Yeah. You didn't see it. It was no. on Instagram. Yeah. It was, uh, it's been talked about quite a bit, like nothing was said definitively, but you've kind of heard people say like, you know, Rogla, 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 and he's, it's a great system. I mean, Red Wings fans have to look no further than Cider to see what it can do for you. Um, The Red Wings already have a relationship with them and he has an opportunity to play with fellow Red Wings prospects. It makes sense for him to go play in a better league against tougher competition, grown men uh, to get ready for the NHL because it looks like Casper might be one of the more NHL-ready prospects out of his draft class. So, yeah, it's confirmed that he's not coming over to Ottawa, at the very least, not to start the year. Uh, he'll be over in Roglin, the SHL. So, that it was a weird rumor to start, and it got, it's good that that got clarified. This makes a lot more sense. Yeah, you don't want guys who have had success at the pro level dropping leagues. Like, you know, to give an example of somewhere it might have made sense at the time. Like if last summer you had told me William Wallander was going to go play in the CHL because his progress was struggling. You could see that put him in a lesser league to refine his game, get his confidence up. Sure. I mean, I'm glad they didn't. It obviously worked out tremendously well that they didn't do that, but that is the type of circumstance where you do something like that. Um, Marco Casper's succeeding in the SHL and then taking him out of the SHL would have been confusing at best because uh there's a lot of there was a lot of concern flying around today that um montreal twitter that their two first round picks might be going to the chl this year 
Interesting. Yeah, which uh, for Philip Massar, that makes sense because he's a small forward who is playing in like a lesser European league, whereas with Slavkovsky, that would be hugely concerning. I mean, great for us because uh, Kitchener holds Massar's rates, but. <laughs> oh, yeah, that'd be actually a lot uh, of fun to watch. That'd be really fun. But yeah, uh, yeah so glad, glad the Red Wings aren't doing that. All right. Um, some Red Wings, or sorry, not Red Wings, some league news. Uh Palat, I know Andre Palat was a player that a lot of um, people wanted to go to Detroit. He ended up signing in New Jersey on a six-year or five-year, six million dollar per year deal for a total of thirty million. Really glad New Jersey did that and not Detroit. I honestly, for that cap hit, I wouldn't have hated it. Um, I would have. Um, Palat is like the the prototypical candidate for like played on a really good team. He don't get me wrong, he's a really good player, but like were his numbers a little inflated because of who he played with? He's basically 30 years old. You gave him a lot of term. The the formula historically for contracts like this that go sideways is basically this. Not saying what yeah. will be that, but you know, if history has taught us anything, it's more likely to go sideways than not. It's Understandably, the makings are there for for what could be a tough contract later on. I'm I'm curious to see how Plot plays away from that Tampa system. He'll have a bigger, a really big role in New Jersey. But again, some really talented centers to play with. He's not going to come into some. Oh yeah, he's not playing with Pew Suter on the first line. You know, no, he's coming in and playing with Jack Hughes or Nico Heischer. I think for at least the first couple of years, he'll be just fine. But uh, you know, years three, four, five, six, maybe not. Uh, and then Josh Norris. Extended by Ottawa, eight years, seven point nine five million. Um, love the player. The AAV is probably a mil, mil and a half too high. But you know what? Honestly, good for Ottawa. They have been the team historically that can never keep their good players. So it's the summer of Pierre, and I will hear no. Bad yeah, thing. yeah. So, so the fact they were able to do some pretty significant things to add to the team and then lock up one of their key players for max term is is a huge win for Ottawa. Nazem Kadri remains unsigned as he's waiting for teams to clear out cap space to pick him up. Been waiting too long on the dance floor. I don't know. I still feel like someone's going to overpay him. Probably I, Colorado. I love Naz. I, I think he's a great player. And I think especially, you know, these playoffs, he was able to keep it clean. And the only reason he missed games is because he got boarded, um, not because he got suspended, which is a nice change of pace for him. But he's... How old is he? 32. He'll be 32 in October. So at the start of the season, he'll be 32. He's going to command a big contract, a productive center who just won a cup in a big way for his team. Career year at 31, always, you know, hugely positive, it, sustainable. If you, <laughs> if he gets big money for the next three years, I actually don't hate it. For No, I would love Nazem Kadri on a two, two, four-year deal. But yeah, he's going to... And I'm one of Nazem Kadri's like bigger fans outside of you know colorado because i i love the player i love the guy yeah this much like plot has all the the recipe is there for uh oh we'll see who who uh pulls out all, all the stops to bring him in him and klingberg i don't think they're the same situations but it looks like maybe evan you're right they might be hanging out on the dance floor too long yeah yeah i think they were kind of wait like teams were waiting to see what those guys were going to do and it just took too long. So other teams are like, well, we can't just wait forever on these guys to have everyone give them presentations. Like, we got to figure our – get our ducks in a row. Yeah. Iserman could benefit hugely from Kadri and Klingberg here in that he might be the guy to help a team unload a contract plus some extra assets so yeah. that they retain him. You know, if Colorado wants to move Sammy Gerrard and, you know, 
retain a bit of salary to do it, that could be a nice little win for the Red Wings or something, something along those lines. You talk about, yeah, you, you talk about what you do with that $10.3 million. It's not necessarily. Uh, you know. Klingberg, a free agent, a trade. It could be the, hey, we we can help you. What are you willing to pay us to help you? I I was in my heart of hearts hoping that Philly and Fletcher and, and all of his, what, how he's handling the Flyers would could be parted with that uh, 2023 first, the Flyers first. I, I was getting close to already having JVR penciled in on the <laughs> second pa- net front on the second power play unit. I was like, Provorov's a great solution for the Red Wings blue line. They might get him cheap or get paid to take him. But You're applying logic to an illogical situation. Yeah, it's like playing chess against someone who thinks they're playing checkers or is, you know, baking a cake. Philly's that classic team of you just look at them and you what is your plan? Nobody knows. I don't think the, the front office knows. Are we good now? Are we rebuilding? Well, the answer there seems to be neither, which is the worst possible spot to be in. Okay. Um, there's a lot of NHL news. I want to talk about Goudreau, but we'll do that in overtime here. Um, Didn't we talk about him before? Yeah, but I just like that. I like how that whole conversation is playing out. Him going to Columbus. Yeah, yeah. There's more. I think it's funny. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, we're gonna we're gonna jump into overtime here again, folks. The recording schedule before we do overtime is going to be uh, obviously tonight is Monday night. We're gonna be recording again on Thursday night. Uh, sometime next week, we'll have that uh, special guest interview for you. There's gonna be more interviews before then as well. So stay tuned. Thanks for bearing with us uh, as you as we get into the off season. The schedule gets a little bit more, you know, having to manage pretty much the the throes of summer. So. Thank you for bearing with us and thank you to our Patreon supporters who are the reason overtime happens. Uh, Patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you want to support the show, uh, we really, really appreciate all of the uh, members of the dub dub club, new and old. Um, you all are the reason someone actually asked. It was a question from patron Eric Asmus who says, you know, this podcast is a big time draw and like love the pod, but how do you have time for your day jobs and your lives? And it's, patrons are the reason this show has been able to grow so you see these bags under my eyes it's asleep that's where we make the time back yeah (laughs) no seriously thank you all thank you all very much you're the reason we're able to do this show especially in the off season uh get the guests that we do and um generally afford evan's speaking fee that's right he uh, outpaces inflation, believe it or not. Um, Patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast if you want to join in the fun. The Discord's been a blast. Uh, okay, we'll take a comment here from new patron, Fresh Squeezed Cider. Welcome to the show. It says, hey guys, new patron here. Love what you guys do and look forward to all of your content. I have a few questions. One, who do you most likely see traded now that free agency has settled down? Aronic? Yeah, that's my gut. Most likely, I think it's a little bit more of a boring answer, but I'll go with um, Zadina, which I know a lot of people wouldn't find boring, but in terms of contract impact, I think it's lower. Adam Ernie. Maybe, right? You got to make room somehow. Uh, Question two, what kind of assets would you prioritize in a trade given the current state of the team? Picks, prospects, roster players. Picks for days, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it was like it's a pretty big like a pretty prominent prospect. I know there was a couple, um, a couple people were talking about Perunovic from St. Louis, like someone like that. Just remember once teams know what they have an asset, they overvalue it even more. Yeah. There, there's more value in picks, even though they are riskier. And again, like y- y- even if you say the Red Wings should be, why are they acquiring more picks? They have all the prospects. They need to be a good team. That's true. But do you know what really helps a contending team? Entry level contracts. So if you can get a good player off of a pick, 
that can play in your contending window on an entry-level contract, that is hugely valuable. So you can never have too many. All right. And what trade do each of you want to see that might be slightly unrealistic, but still could happen if the cards fell right? Heronic for a first. Oh, that's I want the Ben Sherratt treatment for Heronic. Yeah. Yeah. Thousand percent. To Detroit or just in general? Uh, we'll say involving Detroit. Oh, well, Sorry. now I don't know what to think of. I was continuing my summer of Pierre and bringing Matthew Kachuk over to Ottawa. <laughs> okay, I would actually, aside from that coming to the Atlantic and Detroit's division, I would actually love to see that just because that would be awesome to see the brothers play together. Yeah, And those two brothers specifically would be massive entertainment value. Oh, yeah. The higher Keith as an assistant coach at that point. Just let's go. Why not? Get weird. Hockey Town Racing Academy says, what are each of your hottest of hot takes regarding the Red Wings this coming season? Hottest of hot takes? Oh, God. Oh. Man, I've tried to get those out of my system as, you know, <laughs> we've matured as a podcast. Moritz Sider wins the Norris. That's a very hot take. But Unanimously. Not- <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm avoiding any Philip Zadina take like the. Oh, no, never, that's, never that's again. Never jinx, doing yeah. that. Yeah. Ooh, what's Lucas it? Raymond wins the Art Ross. Good God, man. You're getting <laughs> uh, the roof on my house is going to burn. <laughs> I'm trying to think of some like depth players massively overperforming their slot. But the hottest of hot take that I could think that I can reasonably say out loud is, is the Red Wings making the playoffs in the second wild card spot. I want to get a little more specific because it's weird. That way I look way worse when it doesn't happen. boy. Uh, I'm torn between two, so I'll go with the less likely one to happen. Dominic Kubelik gets 30 goals. Oh, you know what? I don't hate that one. Depending on who he plays with, I'm not sure that he'd get that with Suter as a center, but you never know. You never know. I just think he's he's got a really good chance to feature prominently on the power play. That's a, I, I, I really dig that one. I don't also, think I, it'll happen. That's why it's a hot take, but like I could I could see a reality where that plays out. I, like, uh, I do like your unanimous Norris. I just think... Maybe a little further fetched. I don't think so. <laughs> okay. The, not the other the other one, just for sake of throwing it out there too, is one of the Red Wings goalie get get some Vesna votes this year. Don't know which one. Okay. Just one of them takes off. MF says, knowing that we know what we know now, Eisenman kind of went for it and stepped into the next phase. Would you have made an effort to go after Johnny Goudreau? If he was willing to go to Columbus, you'd think he could have pitched a similar offer and Eisman is a known wizard with recruiting players. Or is that a step too far and wouldn't have guaranteed that next step anyway? If we could have got the same contract that he took, yeah, I probably would have liked that. Because even though the term is risky for a guy his age, I I honestly thought he was getting two mil a year more. In free agency, I, I think with the cap going up, even a 35-year-old Johnny Goudreau is still going to be really damn good. <sighs> Elite talent is so hard to get. That's what it boils down to. Like, there is a, probably a really good argument for, you know, for all of Philly's faults, if you look at their decision to not clear cap for Johnny Goudreau in a vacuum, that might age well in four years. That we might look back and say, oh, we gave Fletcher a lot of crap for that, but that's actually a smart move. But I think what it boils down to is what Brad just said. Elite talent is hard to get. And if you have an opportunity to buy it, not for free, the cap hit's significant, but you're not giving up assets for a 100-plus point player. Philly is also in a way different spot than Detroit because if they don't have Ryan Ellis come back, they are – and I don't think Ryan Ellis is God's gift to defense. But if he doesn't come back, they are even in a 
worse spot. Well, then they're in a good spot because they're probably getting Connor Bedard. And, and then why did they do the moves they did? Anyhow, yeah. yeah. But with the Red Wings specifically too, my, I, I would argue my only concern at this point about the Red Wings rebuild is you look at cup champions and they have multiple players who qualify as elite. I'm not talking very good. I'm not talking star. I'm talking elite. Damn near the best at their position in the entire league. And the cup winners have multiple of these guys. Right now on the Red Wings roster and in their system, I would argue they have one. So if they can get, they probably still need two or three more guys who fit that description to be true cup contenders. And again, there's a lot of ways that could happen. But Johnny Goudreau is one of those guys. So now if all of a sudden you have Johnny Goudreau and Mo Sider, two guys elite at their positions, now you are that much closer to being not a playoff team because let's not forget the playoff team isn't the goal here, a contender. Yeah, the the geographical thing. I really thought he'd want to be like much, much closer, like right in Philly. But um, yeah, well, I'm okay with the Red Wings not going hard after him, um, but also would not have hated that contract. He might have wanted more if he was coming to Detroit, right? Like you never know what Yeah, that's yeah. I'm I'm going on the assumption he signed the same contract in Detroit that he signed in Columbus. And just just in like just a, on a small note here about Goudreau. Watching the discourse play out, I mean, I feel for Calgary fans, I think that sucks to lose a guy to unrestricted free agency who's a 100-point scorer. Like that is the one of the worst things that could happen to your team in terms of like rocking the roster, your asset management, etc. I understand how it happened. But from a perspective of watching the rest of the league angry that it was Columbus, this is one objectively one of the funniest things to ever happen in the why, modern. I don't NHL. get why people are angry. Isn't doesn't everybody want parity in the NHL? No, not the teams who want New Jersey fans, Flyers fans. Islanders no, yeah, fans. obviously the teams, but like this is what every non-Flames fan should want: is elite players going to small markets. Now it gives every team hope that you too, because now it's not just Arizona is going to be a laughing stock year after year because ever, let's not forget Columbus has only won what one or two playoff series in their entire existence to this point. Yeah. You need teams like this to be successful. And you know, it's easy for us as an original six franchise to sit here and go, Oh, Detroit's always going to be a destination. No, it's not. There's a definitely a reality where Detroit's not a destination to a lot of players. So you want, Teams like Detroit, Columbus, and not necessarily the New Yorks or the warm weathers to be able to attract the top end players. So, because there's implication beyond just, oh yeah, well, do you even want to sign UFAs? Is that always good? No, but if you have a superstar, you want them to stay there. So all of a sudden it becomes that much easier to talk a Mosider into signing an eight-year contract. You know, for Columbus specifically, it's a lot easier for them to keep a Cole Sillinger, a Kent Johnson, these guys on their next contract if players are realizing, oh, yeah, these are actually good towns and good cities, even though they're not the quote-unquote traditional landing spots for these type of guys. Um, okay, interesting question here from uh, – this is from Eric Asmus. says, why is it that 20 years ago superstars were very good into their late 30s and sometimes early 40s? Is this simply the change of the red line coming out and the game getting faster? We uh, always talk now about how you don't want to give big contracts to the guys that go past their early 30s. Do we think uh, performance-enhancing drugs were a factor? Is it the salary cap wanting young, cheap labor combo of a lot of factors? It's uh, mainly the floor coming up on what an average NHL player is. In the early 90s, a fourth liner was like a goon who could barely skate. And 
couldn't do much all with the puck. Like third and fourth liners now in the NHL are physically just as gifted as the superstars and in individual skills can keep up with the superstars. Like, you know, there was the video that was going around. Um, what was it? Uh, Vancouver Twitter after they signed Eli McKayev of, you know, McKayev and McDavid having a race for a loose puck in a straight line and McKayev winning because now a third and fourth line guy like McKayev can skate with a McDavid. Now McDavid's a superstar because of his brain and all the other things he can do. But the gap between the Wayne Gretzky to your fourth liner was the Grand Canyon back then. Now the gap between Connor McDavid and a guy like Ian McKayev is still significant, but it's not what it used to be. There's also, I, I do think the cap has something to to do with it, right? Like, there's a bigger focus on players when they're not performing when you see the number attached to them. And that number used to mean nothing. Like, we talk so fondly about the O2 Red Wings. Look up that salary. <laughs> yeah. Look up that salary and look up the salary of, like, these small market teams that year. But I don't think that affects superstar performance. You know what I mean? Like, I think perception of the performance, though, right? Like, it's hard to say because when when you start to slow down in the NHL now, the league catches up to you fast in a hurry. You know what I mean? Like there's that's fair. And and it's I would also say the NHL in terms of not hitting physicality, but in terms of, you know, endurance performance physicality is way tougher than it used to be as well. So players bodies just don't keep up like they used to as well. Yeah, I want to get to this comment here from Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, and it's it's something that we haven't had a chance to cover yet, and obviously as the story unfolds, we will touch on. Um, it says, as of uh, July 18th uh, at 9.30 a.m., the 2018 uh, Can- Canadian World Junior Team members Timmins, Makar, Mete, Fabro, Gadjevich, and Foot have publicly stated that they did not participate in the alleged ex- sexual assault of a young female in London, Ontario in June of 2018. It's clear to me that those not involved believe that those who were will have their identi- identities revealed soon and those players are trying to get out in front of that story before it happens. If one looks at the list of the team that year and has knowledge of the personal history of some of those individuals as well as the list of those proclaiming their innocence, Certain inferences can be made. Uh, the fact that those involved allegedly were able to secure even the possibility of having an NHL career is unfathomable, and the evidence supporting Hockey Canada's alleged cover-up of the incident is equally appalling. From my perspective, Team Russia isn't the only IIHF under-20 team that should be required to miss a tournament or two. That would suck for the current U-20 players, but the U-20 folks in Russia have as much to do with Putin as the U-20 Canadian players have to do with this incident in 2018. So I find it hard to justify that one team is deserving of being banned from the tournament and the other is not. If anything, Hockey Canada is more deserving of a suspension next month as that organization may have directly allowed a known sexual assault to go unpunished by the Crown Prosecutor and actively deny justice to a victim of sexual assault. Just to add some uh, uh, gravity to, to that comment there, Hockey Canada, Hockey Canada, which in Canada is an institution, no matter how well they're performing or not, is having sponsorships pulled and frozen. The government has has investigated. They're reopening their investigations due to the pressure. Like, this is a big deal. Um, and I don't think it's crazy what was noted here in that comment. And I, I do think those suspensions might be coming. I don't think they'll go so far as suspending them from the tournament. I, I think in the end, the dollar will rule. And as Hockey Canada goes, the World Junior goes a lot of, a lot of times, unfortunately. But uh, based on the results of the investigation, 
this isn't going to be it should not be insignificant it'll be a a kind of tragedy if it does end up being insignificant in terms of what um what comes to this well thankfully hockey has a long history of being morally responsible and taking accountability so i have full faith that this will play out exactly as it should um a couple a couple more comments here one from shatna says who would you guys offer sheet this season and then terry driver of the number 69 crying ryan hannah banana slam and jamathong says uh note some players kako sandine nachash haig yamamoto pulley i think haig's the only one i probably consider that'd be it i could see sandine although maybe with with what the red wings have brought in so far it's not something that they would stretch to do i think haig fits a little more with what the red wings are trying to build as well Okay, and we have uh, one more question here. Uh, I think this one's from Paul Brita. It says, in the Eisman presser, he seemed uh, he was done with free agents due to roster spots and ample competition to make the team. He did hint trades were still a consideration. Do you think Bertuzzi is still a trade possibility now that we have a more competitive team or more like Zadina, Suter, Lindstrom, Ernie, or Smith? As I said last episode, flexibility allows all possibilities to be on the table. I think if you want a competitive team and bringing in, you know, a Perron makes the loss of someone like a Bertuzzi a little less painful. I don't think that's a one-to-one um, comparison, though. But, uh, yeah, like Brad said, it, it's a possibility. Okay, uh, we're going to wrap up, the th- wrap up this episode. We're going to record the Patreon-exclusive uh, overtime right now. Again, we have uh, a... Special guest interview that got delayed to next week, so stay tuned for that. We also have some uh, other fun interviews and topics coming up in the coming episodes. The next episode will be on uh, Thursday night. I appreciate you managing all of this. Brad, happy birthday once again. Thank you. We uh, want to thank all of our listeners, our name level spo- or sorry, our uh, sponsors of this podcast, the FanDuel Sportsbook. Everyone who's joined us on Patreon, um, new or old, uh, really, really, really cannot say thank you enough. And our name level sponsors on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Egg for the straight, the Stay Fresh Cheese Bag, Nick Perks, uh, Brett, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver, Driver of the number 69, Crying Ryan Hand has been in a slam and Jamathong. BJ Johnston, who is a brand new name level sponsor. Welcome, uh, BJ. Matthew M. Rice, Ben Hurd, Brandon M., Carl Brutana Nanoluski, Chimmy, Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, uh, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Evans Farmer Tan, <laughs> Give Blood Fight Probert, Greech, Hassam Al-Qasem, I'd Leave My Wife for Cider, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Marcus, Matt McKay, My Impressive Package, Elameo, <laughs> Nicholas Fritz, pardon me, monsieur, do you have any Dave Perron? R.A., Scott Martin, Sean Levine, Sam Bankson, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Adam, Now I Finish Better Than Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landiscog is a Stanley, Stanley Cup champion, Ben Barron, Brad's Package Admiration Club for Men, Brian Vasha, Connor Leighton, Darren Ficarelli, Dave W. <laughs> you guys are ridiculous. Dungeon Master of Puppets, Evans Bankrupt Parking Garage, Evans Bingo Card, Griffey Boy, Jack the Bassist, uh, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, Jeremy Brocker, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Burgos, Marco Casper, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Max A Million Cheese Bags, 
Melissa Erickson is a brand new name level sponsor. Welcome, Melissa. Papa Woody, Puck Norris, Revy DeLuca, Thick Rick, Trevor Pevivar, Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Thank you all so much. And we'll talk to you. Thanks Thursday for night. tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.